We've been talking to different experts from wider ranges of the industry. So far, we've talked about what it looks like to put your team together, who you need, when you need them, how you choose them. Then we talked about how you decide as an artist whether you're going to go the independent route or with a major label. And now we're going to cap off the afternoon with, I think, one of the most important parts of the conversation if we're talking about music industry education, which is financial literacy. What does it mean to diversify your revenue streams? What does it mean to be an owner? We talk a lot about being a boss and being an entrepreneur in music, but what does that really mean? I'm Naima Cochran. I am a 20-year music entertainment executive and veteran. Also have some artist management experience under my belt. And I'm a music and culture writer, and I'm being joined with an outstanding panel to talk about this. All of them, very diversified backgrounds, entrepreneurs, creators, 360 people in their own right. I'm going to bring them in so I can introduce everyone. We have, um, sorry, Mo Shalizi, who is the CEO of the Shalizi Group. We have Courtney Stewart, who is the founder of Right Hand Music Group and Right Hand Foundation and co-founder of Keep Cool Records. And we have Monet Perry, who is co-president of Artistry Records and Artistry Group. Now, each of you kind of have such a varied background, especially Monet and Courtney, that I cannot, I literally can't read your whole bios because we would be here for the you know 30 minutes on that. But if I could go through each of you and you give us some highlights of like what your backgrounds are and why we chose you guys to come here and talk about like this part of the business today. I'm going to start with you, Courtney. Court, you're on mute. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm Courtney Stewart. Um, how are you doing today? Thank <laughs> you for having me. <laughs> um, I've been been in the business professionally since 2005, but have you know been a creative um, for my whole life. I'm from Atlanta. Um, some of my early influences were... You know, Outkast, LaFace Records coming to Atlanta. Um, during that time, it really wasn't a, a huge music scene in Atlanta. But, you know, being able to, you know, to soak up the the building of the city of Atlanta during that time was was super um, influential. When LaFace Lunch, Outkast, Goody Mob, TLC, Pink, I think, you know, what L.A. Reid and Babyface did was was very impactful for the, for the music industry, but also for the city of Atlanta. Um, I got my management start by managing Bobby Valentino, um, um, he and I are our childhood friends. Um, actually, he was in a group called Mister uh, back in the back in the '90s. So that that's as a, as a teenager, you know, I was around Outkast, I was around Organized Noise, just a fly on the wall, just a kid, just you know, just just dreaming. And you know, fast forward to today, um, I manage Khalid. Um, I am co-founder of Keep Cool Records. We have Normani, Lucky Day, Van Jess, Umi. Um, uh, Mad Libs and Freddie Gibbs, and we just signed some some other amazing artists as well. And um, you know, just happy to be on this panel um, with with Mo and 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 Monet, and and just mm-hmm. you know, just super just super excited to to have this chat. Okay, Monet, what about you? Wow, been in music since '97. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I know I don't look like it. Um, you do not. You do. Not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've uh, started in radio. Radio was my first love, and that was back when there was no Instagram and street teamers were influencers. Um, left radio to work in in management because I wanted to work closer with artists. Um, worked at Music World under the tutelage of Max No Max Goose and Matthew Knowles um, with Beyonce, and then. Got to travel to New York and was like, I'm moving to New York. Um, And while in New York, got to launch companies like Rock Nation, um, being in their digital department where we work together, um, Mm -hmm. as well as launching things like This Is 50 at a digital media agency right in 2008 when Facebook opened up to everybody. There was Twitter and all of these things kind of took my traditional marketing experience and transferred it over to digital marketing. then really just wanted to broaden my experience from a digital perspective and went to RCA um, as a digital marketing director where I had a huge roster and kind of got to really learn the inner workings of the label, trafficking records, production, all of that different stuff. And then came home to LA and been rocking with Artistry Group uh, since 2016. And there's been a whole bunch of other things in between that from overnights on the radio, working at Hits Magazine, working in the Virgin Records promo department, um, getting carried out of cities as a street teamer, giving away uh, summer jam tickets when summer jam was the the hottest thing to do. 
So um, I've seen a lot and I love the fact that I'm able to kind of bridge what I've learned back in the day with everything that I'm learning today. Thank you, and Mo. I feel like the rookie with all these vets here, but uh, you know, I've been, uh, I've been in the music game for about eight years now. Uh, you know, before that I was a, a kid in college, uh, finance major just trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Um, started DJing, promoting a little bit, and then found my way into the music business. Uh, you know, started managing artists. You know, I would find on SoundCloud uh, dance artists independently, and then uh, I joined Red Light Management. Was there for about four years, and then about three years ago, um, ended up kind of having my own vision for what I wanted my management company to be, a management company to be like. Um, so, you know, started our own company, the Shlezy Group, about three years ago. Um, and have been building with a lot of great artists from, you know, Marshmallow, Alesso, Southside, uh, no way to 808 Mafia, a um, bunch of producers on that end, uh, and just kind of building. So thank, thanks to all you guys. One of our goals here with these conversations about the business of music is to kind of put some context behind, you know, with the rise of digital, there's been a, be a peak behind the curtain of how things work in the business behind the scenes. But sometimes people have a partial picture without really understanding what it all means and, and how it all works together. And for those of us who've been in this game for like a good 20 years, we remember that it wasn't really until the mid aughts that we were even looking at artists as business people, unless you had a JV. And then when we did, it was like, you had a clothing line. You know what I mean? It wasn't, we weren't really thinking about philanthropic endeavors and, and brand business beyond uh, just brand ambassadorship, but like actual ownership and all the different ways in which you could launch your own companies. And, and then Jay said, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. And now everybody wants to talk about being a boss, right? But what does it really look like, what I want to talk to you guys about, to have ownership, be an entrepreneur as an artist, to diversify your revenue streams? And the first question I want to want to start with is, what do we mean when we say diversified revenue streams? So in the previous conversation, we talked about 360 deals and we talked about touring and merch and brand deals, which is usually the three main avenues, I think, where artists start when they start looking at how to branch off in terms of their finances, in terms of their revenue. But there are plenty more options than that. So I want to know if you guys might want to start by telling us a little bit about how, in your mind, you view making sure that your artists have different lines of revenue and ownership. And I'll start with you, Monet, just because you've been around so many different areas of the business from the management company side to the label side to the digital side. What, what does that look like when you are advising your artists? I think, you know, the first thing is picking things that are organic to the artists, you know? Mm -hmm. So we know that they do music, right? We know that we're gonna make a music product. So what can we build around that? Um, I think simple things like D2C stores, merch, things, those things are, are fairly easy. But I think now, you know, with digital and you being able to either have your voice on Twitter, you know, or display yourself on Instagram, you really get an insight into who people are. And through that, you know, you're able to align yourself with different ways to make different streams of revenue, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's really, instead of it not forcing the conversation or forcing it, but really, like I said, just, just organically figuring out, well, if we do this, you know, how are you going to promote it? You know, how would it connect with your fans? Does it seem forced? Um, as well as figuring out when to do those things. Because I think now we live, you know, in a world where everybody kind of wants to do everything right now. Right away, yeah. Yeah, I think figuring out with that artist, you know, what the strategy is for launching your career into the next year to three years into five years um, and actually planning it. But I think it just, it really starts with um, being organic. Like for example, back in the day when we saw a Michael Jackson with Pepsi, you know, or, you know, those different things, those were people kind of, sure, he probably drank Pepsi, but it was a bigger play, you know? We understood that was a check. Correct, correct. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. now it's like, all right, I, I really drink Sprite, you know? Yeah. I yeah. love Sprite. I really want to do a rap for Sprite. You right. know, that's right. my Sprite. That's my Sprite, whatever it might be, you know? Right. So I think those are just some of the basics that you start with. 
Right. I, I think, um, well, you know, let's, I want to put a pin in what you said about when to do it. Um, but I think a great example for me that sticks out in, in my mind about the difference between seeing the artist just get an endorsement deal and actually turning it into something is when 50 did his partnership with Vitamin Water and created, and created 50 Water, whatever he called it, but created like literally his own brand and he went beyond just being like i'm gonna sit here and drink this vitamin water for the camera so it being like no this is actually my product and i'm and i'm making revenue off of it um mo i want to go to you next because you and marshmallow have like taken the idea of brand expansion to like some whole other shit so what like how like talk a little bit about all the different things that you guys do I think, I think it all revolves, you know, heavily around what Monet just said about authenticity and being organic. Mm. I think, you know, I, like you can't fool culture and you can't fool people, right? So mm. I think when it comes to, you know, creating value for, for an artist, you know, or, or our artist, it's it's really like, how can we tie something that they're doing? Because brands, you know, today don't want to work with people either that are not actually consuming their product or working or, you know, a, an advocate of their product. Because, you know, if, if, if you know, people can tell if you're not authentic, you know, there's no authenticity to your post or to whatever. Um, you know, so from our perspective, it's always been about, you know, where, where are categories that we can kind of, you know, dive into that, you know, we can make authentic and, and also really kind of, you know, the biggest thing for, for example, for us was like, um, an obvious play was, you know, marshmallow creating a marshmallow brand. Right. So we, you know, had an option to do a deal with, uh, you know, one of the biggest brands, um, and, it was a royalty deal, um, but we knew that was our biggest brand play for the brand as a whole. You know what I mean? So it was like, do we do this and, you know, have no skin in the game and basically, you know, leverage our entire audience for somebody else for, a, a you know, a, a decent check? Or, you know, as entrepreneurs, do we take the risk, you know, the same way we have with, you know, being independent and everything else we've done? Um, do we take the same risk and, you know, bet on ourselves that we can outmarket these other companies and outmarket and our network is in you know, our Rolodex is a lot bigger than these guys. And we have access to every artist and whatnot. Um, and, you know, start our own brand with, with somebody else. And, and that's what we did. For example, we started a brand called stuff puffs and, you know, we launched in Walmart and now we're the number one selling marshmallow brand inside of Walmart. And, you know, we'll be in 19,000 stores by the end of this year. Sorry guys. I think we're back and we're stable now. Um, thank you for staying with us. I was now pivoting to Courtney because I was saying that court, part of Courtney's uh, arm is also philanthropy. And we don't really talk that much about that when we're talking about artists going into different spaces. So Courtney, for the third time, please tell us a little bit about that part of diversifying your revenue. All good. So I, I, earlier, I was saying that this conversation, um, I think, is the most important conversation that needs to be had um, to artists, creatives, and managers in music. Because, um, like the old saying, ain't no money like show money. Everybody depends on the live business to sustain. And because of COVID, um, the entire business is getting flipped upside down. So um, it, it's so important to have conversations about diversifying um, and expanding your business. Um, for me, it's been really important to um, to, to launch foundations. Um, Khalid has the great Khalid Foundation, um, where we um, we super serve uh, education and and the arts. I'm in his hometown of El Paso, and we've expanded outside of El Paso. We raised uh, five hundred thousand dollars for the city of El Paso in the wake of the mass shooting that they had last year. And I have the Right Hand Foundation. Uh, which is based in Atlanta, and we provide free housing for, for single women and children um, free for a year, no, no bills, no utilities. And um, for these women, we also build infrastructure for them so that they, they can sustain once they're out of the program. We teach That's them, amazing. Yeah, financial literacy. Um, you know, it's, it's been a really a challenging but great time right now because uh, some of the women that, that, that live in these homes um, are unemployed right now. So just really helping them to get back on their feet. Um, and I just feel like when, when you have a platform, because music is culture, music um, brings people together. I feel like music is a universal language. So it, it's so important to, to, to lend your talents also for, for nonprofit as well. You know, everybody is like, yeah, I want to get to the bag. I want to get to the bag, but you know, also, use that that same influence to be able to support the communities that you come from mm -hmm. to be able to uplift uh minorities and to be able to, to just to reinvest and um and provide a better 
a better walk of life for the next generation. Right. And I mean, even if I love that and you're right, there's there's a responsibility of giving back. But even if you wanted to get to the very most base financial level, it's also a tax shelter. But I know that's not why we should do it. Yeah. But I'm just saying, yeah. So there, so if you just want to speak from the financial perspective, yeah. after a certain, when you get to a certain bracket, you need to actually start divvying up where that money is going, right? So that brings me to something else I wanted to ask all of you. You know, most folks to the fact that we're in the midst of a shutdown. It happened right at the beginning of tour season. Um, you know, so many artists, like we've, we've never faced anything like this and we don't know when the live tour industry is coming back. So that is a major part of revenue for a lot of acts that is just getting cut immediately. But even though this was completely unforeseen and unprecedented, it kind of speaks to when you guys are starting to look at your financial plan with your artists, right? Your game plan, map out what the career looks like. How do you bring these conversations to them? Like at what point do you start saying, let's think about branching out instead of just less thinking about how we can catch you a check. Like how, when does it become a conversation of ownership versus just let's find some other money out there for you, if that makes sense. And Mo, I'll start with you. I think, I think it, 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 it starts at a point when the artist is on board, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, because if you ever put them in a position where they're not financially stable and you take the risks to do these kind of ventures with them as like showing them like, yo, you know, it's different, right? Like we're, we're betting, we're putting, you know, you know, we're betting on the future and what, what this could be. Um, you know, you never want the artist to come back to you and be like, yo, what, the, you know, what the fuck I got you. I missed out on a, on an easy bag because you told me that we could do this. Right. So I think just, you know, it comes, it needs to be at a place where, you know, an artist understands a part of being an entrepreneur is taking risks and, and um, you know, sometimes those risks pan out, sometimes they don't, you know, but the upside is so much greater than, than not doing that. You know what I mean? So I think, uh, you know, that's the most important thing is just when, when an artist understands that like, look, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, quick money and then there's long-term money, you know? Right. Um, And Monet, I'll ask you the same question. Also, given that so much of your role and what you do is also about building the, the forward facing brand, like through digital personas and all that other stuff. Is there a, is there a, place at which you say to the artist okay now we need to talk about you branching out further instead of you just getting bigger you getting broader um I think it depends on the artist Mm -hmm. because everyone has you know different a different trajectory per se so um for example I'll I'll take a a sweetie you know when uh, two years ago you know we we know she's the icy girl, right? We mm-hmm. bought her a regular icy chain. And right. then like, hmm, there's something there. Let's sell these. We knew that she crossed over immediately with icy girl. And in terms of like moms, aunties, daughters, there was just something about that song that was motivational, uplifting. It was positive. So we knew we had a broad audience. So with the icy chain, along with the spray ground deal that we did, where I think we did an in-store, we had it in foot action. It was like, oh, wow, I have all types of different people, you know, in front of this store, all ages, you know, we have something here, which then led into, okay, we know we did the spray ground deal, but what can we do, you know, in, in-house? So I think it's really studying your audience, you know, outside of, of course, monitoring benchmarks on social, but analytics are key, you know, whether that's on the back end of these social properties or identifying it at shows or different places. And we immediately saw just the way that people gravitated, you know, to her, which then started a a nice D to C merch jury play for us, you know, um, but to say to but there she's still a, a de, there's still a developing part of that mm-hmm. you know so um, give you another example so thinking about we wanted to do a a lip gloss line you know we were pounding the pavement to get everything together to do that in house but when she once you start learning about chemists and all of these things that it takes sometimes to do that it was like all right let's do some of these other deals that will lead us up to that. And I'll give you case in point. When I was working at Rock Nation, 
Brianna had a, a deal with a perfume company. She did mm -hmm. Maybelline. She did all of these different things that we would be working with those major partners, right? That gave her, you know, a royalty deal and probably a bag, right? And she would deliver on those while she was growing her audience. Mind you, this was pre-IG, right? Right. Fast forward, and this was in 2010 through 2012. Fast forward, we're in 2020, and she's making the biggest deals that a lot of other artists and people want to mimic, you know? But it took time to get there. So I think- it And an educational component. Correct, correct. Yeah. So, um, and then when, you, when you're in those deals, using those opportunities to really- study the deals that you're in from a royalty or just, you know, perspective. But I think that once a fan, once an artist can touch fans and to your point, Mo, they're on board, there's all types of different ways to, to talk about diversification. And what about you, Courtney? What is the, what is that strategy planning look like? Because uh, Monet said at the top, which I think is really important, the age of Instagram, and this isn't just for artists, this is for wannabe influencers, wannabe entrepreneurs. Everybody thinks that you just decide, I'm gonna start a shop, I'm gonna become a brand, I'm gonna make a t-shirt, I'm gonna do whatever it is, people think it's very uh, ad water and stir. So like, what does that strategy conversation look like for you when you're talking to your artists about how they're expanding and how they're growing? Um. Once, once again, I think that, you know, what Monet said earlier about everything being organic, I think, mm -hmm. you know, that's definitely the key because when, when you're selling a product, it has to be something that, that's, that you love and something that's, that you're genuine about because mm -hmm. it's, it's going to take the creativity of how you, you know, how you finesse the internet, you know, how you work your socials so that it doesn't look like that you're just out there like, hey, I'm selling this, go buy it. You know, it is, it's right. creativity behind it. So the conversation that I have, if it's a brand or something that you believe in, you know, let's get creative with how we, how we, you know, present that to, to, to the fans because we don't want to look like, um, we don't want to look cheesy. We don't want it to come across where, where it looks like I'm just asking my fans to buy, buy, buy. So, right. you know, um, I, I think Mo and his team has done a, a, an amazing job with all the uh, partnerships that they have, because you know, like you could tell that, like that 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 Marshmallow loves it. That him and his team, they're they're doing very unorthodox, like you know, left of center things that like makes me want to be a part of it. You know, so mm -hmm. so it, it 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 makes it more attainable and it makes it more authentic. And that's that's the reason that I feel like Mo has had such great success with the partnerships that he has. So speaking, so Mo mentioned. Um, Mo mentioned a little while ago, the artist being on board and understanding risks. And I'll bring up my own example in 2000, shit, nine, 10, we were working with Tyler, the creator. Tyler was one of the first artists I knew who was going really heavy on merch bundles and, and not just merch bundles, meaning like an upsell of a t-shirt or whatever, but like, no, my deluxe album has to have a pair of socks, a badge, a sticker, you know, some clingy, like all kind of stuff. That was a headache for me because we had to get it all produced. But one of the things he understood was like, my fans can't pirate a pair of socks. They can pirate music, right? So like very much understanding like why that was necessary. But I do think that there are some people who, you know, they kind of want to, again, jump out the window without understanding the cost involved, um, without understanding, like most said, the risk involved. So what would you advise for our creators who are out there and who on their own are like, well, maybe we can start a merch store. We can do a D to C, which is direct to consumer. We can do something on our own to create this other, you know, avenue or revenue or to those who are like, I want a lip gloss. I want a wig line. I want a clothing, you know, line like Kylie, whomever. What do you think that people need to understand fundamentally, just on a general level, before they start pursuing these kind of avenues of entrepreneurship? And I'll, I'll ask you first, Mo. I think, uh, you know, like to, to Court's point of what kind of you were saying is like, from our perspective, like we don't, we don't, like I try not to, with, with all my artists, to do a lot of brand deals or brand things at, at all, right? Like there's certain 
I think you got to weigh the pros and cons of every kind of opportunity and see like, is this a real, is this a real opportunity, right? Is it a real moneymaker? There's certain categories where, yeah, you know, it makes more sense to do a royalty deal because you're not going to be in the poster business or you're not going to be in this business where it might be easier to partner with somebody. But, um, you know, from our perspective, we always just try to go for categories and, you know, do stuff that we know there's, you know, an upside, um, and there's a return on, um, you know, and, and somewhere that needs innovation. Mm-hmm. And, well, you, and you also, sorry to cut you off. Like, no, go ahead. you have to be, you have to be different. Like you have to think different. I think everybody looks at it and say, man, that's easy to do. But like, it, it is a true process because if somebody come, if I come to you today and I'm saying like, all right, Naima, I'm going to give you $2 million to license those plants right there behind me. Love right behind you. I'm gonna give you two million dollars right now. It takes a lot of guts to turn down that two million dollar check and say, "Well, you know, I don't want, I don't want to license my plants. I want to, I want to have ownership in it, and you know, just give me, you know, ten percent of that. Give me two hundred thousand and right. equity at the end. Right. I, I don't care who you are. It's a big difference between two hundred thousand and two million. Yeah. And, and a guarantee versus risk. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so it takes, you know, uh, you know, I, I just, I just always see people talk about, oh yeah, I want to own my own masters. I want to have ownership because, because they look at like, that's what whole talks about all the time. That's what the bosses talk about the ownership, but you have to understand the risks that come with that ownership. And like Mo was saying earlier, you know, you have that conversation with, with, with your artist and things don't pan out, then that conversation isn't going to be nice because it's like, yo, right. you just had me walk away from a $2 million check, bro. Like, what we doing? Right. <laughs> like, um, I'm glad you brought that up because a question I didn't, in the last panel, one of the last things we talked about was ma- what it means about masters versus publishing and all that other stuff. And one of the points that they were touching on is that, you know, like you said, we talk a lot about people who aren't in the business talk a lot about ownership of masters and just ownership period, like owning your brand and owning your music without a real understanding of like part of letting someone else manage your brand and and stuff like that is that they will just hand you some money that you know you get, you absolve none of the risk and none of the downside they assume the risk and the downside in addition to taking a larger stake of the upside, but also it means that they're handling everything day to day with your input, but without it being directly on you to manage and run and take care of. Um, so Monet, from your point of view, what, what do you think that is the fundamental like core that people need to understand when it comes to like, I want to build a brand. I want to do business this way. I want to go into this area, this sector, et cetera. I think vision, because mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, it's my job to have vision, but it's my job to help you bring the vision to life. You know, so how do you see yourself if you want to, you know, do t-shirts or whatever it is that you want to do, what does that look like to you, you know, so that we can bring that to life, you know, and what does it look like to start and what does it look like down the line? Um, I also think work ethic. I love courts, um, you know, mention of being different because right now we live in a world where there's people that don't even have music that are selling stuff, period. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, it's like, and then, you know, some artists, you don't want to, you don't want to sit in the influencer space, you know, so really just having that conversation about, okay, when this is live, you know, how do you envision it being? Or even getting into the nuts and bolts of the creative. A lot of the artists that we work with, they're a part of the creative campaigns. You know, they are, we're bringing in the photographers and the this and the that and, and everything so that people can walk side by side with them that have the strength, you know, to bring this stuff to life. So, I, and I think there's levels, you know, there is the independent artists where it may just be about, okay, right now, mask or hot, let me figure out the hottest thing to put on a mask because I know I people are going to need, everyone needs a mask. It may be turning something that's a need for people into something that's part of what you're doing, or it may be thinking out of the box and coming up with something that people don't have. Like we didn't sell a t-shirt first. We sold a $50 mm-hmm. chain. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. So um, it's just, I think everyone is going to have a, a, a different way to do it, but I think vision and work ethic 
um, and understanding that while you may have the vision as the artist, you're going to need to surround yourself with people, in addition, of course, to your management and your label, that may be able to bring that to life for you. So right now, you know, like I said before, and as Mo said before, we're in a really unprecedented time for every every avenue of business. Like, it doesn't matter what business you're in. Everybody is facing new challenges and figuring out how to pivot. But for, for, for music artists, and especially in um, the hip-hop and electronica and DJ spaces, um, there's been a large flood to like, what can I do online? What can I do in a digital space? Um, I think the thing about the digital space and, and, and with platforms like SoundCloud is that there is such an ease of use and control and being able to navigate your own way. But sometimes I think the expectation is almost, it's almost deceptively simple that people just think I'm going to throw something up and it's going to pop. How are you advising your clients during this era to move in other avenues, whether it be like what they can do digitally, you know, like Travis Scott doing um, stuff on Twitch with game with gaming, you know, like what whatever that may look like. What? How are you advising your people right now, Mo? Um, you know, so like you know, we did that. The the thing Travis just did was the Fortnite concert. We did the first one about two years ago, and then Travis right. the second one in. I mean, what we saw from there was remarkable. You know, I mean, the numbers, we had almost 11 million kids or I mean, concurrent viewers watching the stream, um, you know, and that was that was a huge wake up for us. And it also, you know, it kind of led to where, you know, some of the initiatives we've taken today with like, you know, launching a kid's show now on YouTube, for example, like, you know, we, we had an influx of, you know, our YouTube channel, for example, the day of the concert had over 100 million views in a single day. Wow. You know, we went up almost, you know, 6 million YouTube subscribers in, uh, in a weekend. So we saw this massive influx from this gaming audience, which kind of, you know, led to certain decisions down the road for us um, on, in, in, you know, in that manner. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in, in today's comment with, you know, what's happening, it's like, I feel like, you know, there's a line of accessibility, right? I feel like if you're on, you know, on live every single day trying to, you know, it only works for certain people, right? If you look at like what Tori did, for example, Tori did a great job of creating, you know, the quarantine radio and creating that, um, you know, um, I think it was DJ, D, was it D-Nice, right? Yeah, D-Nice and um, Club Quarantine. Right, exactly. So he did, And Versus. Right, and Versus, yeah. right? There's a few things that have really strived through there, but I look at like, you know, in the DJ space, for example, there's DJs that are trying to do live streams from every single part of their home and whatever. And it's like, dude, it's so corny. It's like, right. you, know, you can't, you can't replicate the experience of being at a concert, you know, from, from your living room. Right. Like I, I, it's just, you can't, like, I don't, I think, you know, it's just, it's so hard to replicate that unless you're creating something entertaining enough for the consumer or the fan to want to really tune in and listen. And you're, you know, they're at their home having a great time. But if like, you know, especially for DJs, it's like, yo, I don't want to watch you putting your hands up, you know, behind turntables. For hours. <laughs> like it's boring. Right. Right. Um, um, so Monet, what about you? Monet, what about you? I think, you know, especially coming from a digital marketing background, um, I think what I encourage all clients and artists that I'm working with to do is is to really, I know there's a place that you like to sit, whether that's IG or you don't want to post a picture, so you want to just talk on Twitter, but to really get familiar with all of the platforms because mm -hmm. it's times like these where... These are the places where people are waiting to see you and hear from you, whether you're new, developing, established. Um, and I think there's so many different ways to monetize on all of these platforms, whether it's you're coming up with something and you're circulating into an audience, audience that you've built, or you're building a, a fan base on Twitch where you can get emoji money and all of these other cool things that you're talking about. I think so many artists sometimes they get comfortable with one place, you know? Um, but people are living everywhere. That's why it's called the World Wide Web, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's one thing. And I think also just challenging artists to take the things that they love and turn it into something that can, one, teach their fans about them, um, that can connect with their fans. For example, um, our artist, Nevaeh Jolie. I go to her house, and she's got a whole mural on her wall. I'm like, 
you painted that? She's like, yeah. And we knew she drew and painted yeah. and stuff. But now it's turned into a whole thing. You know, we're going to maybe get fans with some of that art. You know, we might take that off the wall and put it on a shirt. You know, right. that's just something that she loves to do and she's been expressing herself with. So I think also too, for managers just and, and even label folks, just paying attention to your artists and your clients, you know, right. um, and knowing them, you know, and, mm -hmm. and getting to know them on a deep, deeper level. And I think this time allows that, of course, um, and challenging them just to have fun and explore because I think right. those are the things that to your point, quarantine, radio and like that was just fun nobody sat around on a zoom or on a conference in a conference room talking about we about to launch quarantine radio and if they had it wouldn't have worked correct because it would have been contrived yeah so, um fun explore um and in in any moment there might be an idea i'm always right. like oh shoot that was idea you know right. um and even when an artist says it taking what they say and being like we should do that with that you know right. so so let's back up for a second just to talk about We've been talking about the brand and the and the revenue part, but but just to talk about financial literacy, period. Cause like, all right, we take we get these artists to the bags, or as managers, you know, like I said, we talked in the last chat about advances and recruitment and all of that other stuff. So your artist gets their advance, they get this brand deal checked, um, they get this C V funding for whatever this venture is gonna be. What do you tell them to do next? I mean, obviously there's a business manager in play. We're just going to assume that first and foremost. But how do you advise your artists when they get that money for the first time? Because ultimately, isn't that what they all kind of are waiting for is like that first good check? What do you tell them to do after that first check? Or what, what do you advise them in terms of their responsibility for their knowledge of how their money works and how it works for them out the gate? And Courtney, I'll start with you. Um, pay your taxes. That's pay your I'm taxes. Saying. Amen. That's for everybody, honestly. Jesus. You know, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I, I, I like always ask people like trick questions. Like if I give you a million dollars, what's the first thing you're going to do with it? And everybody's like, oh, I'm going to buy my mom a house. Or I'm going to, going to go buy this. Or I'm going to save. Or I'm going to invest it. You know, some people try to give you all eloquent answer. I'm going to invest Man. it. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Pay your taxes. Right. That's that's the that's the first thing because tax trouble is no joke. So and those taxes don't come out of those checks up front. It's on you. That's exactly. what I think people miss. Yeah. Yeah, because when you work a, a, a typical job, you know, they 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 deduct health care, they deduct social social security. They they that's what those what those deductions are for. But in our world, we get a nice check. And it's like, okay, here it is. It's on the silver platter, and it's up to you to do it what, what you want to do with it. And so many people get into financial um, strains because they don't pay their taxes. Mm. So I feel like if, if you do that, you know, you, you, you're going to be a couple steps ahead. You need to be smarter after that, but that's the first thing you need to do. Cause I actually love that you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Monet, what would you say? Taxes and having, you said it leading into this, sometimes people don't even have a business manager. Right. You know, they don't even have somebody that can sit with them and say, this is what you're getting. This is what you should be doing with it. This is how these different things work. This is what you're going to have to pay for. <laughs> right. You know, because I think sometimes people think you're managing them and you pay them for everything. You know? Yeah, managers are not a checkbook. That's not what they do. Correct. So right. I, I think just having a clear understanding of a, a label, recording, production, you know, relationship versus a management relationship. And their music business managers are able to outline that for you. Of course, asking your manager and, you know, making sure that you guys have an open dialogue about that. But I think the business management end of it is key. I've worked with artists where I was the business manager. You know? yeah, and your manager should not be your business manager. It's conflict of interest. Your manager should not be handling your money. You should trust them to be real with you about your money. Correct. But you should not trust, like you shouldn't be funneling your money through your management company. Like keep, keep all those lines of business separate. Um, and before I get to Mo to ask him his question, I also want to point out that Business, your business manager is not your cousin who has an accounting degree. Right. Um, accountants just pay your bills. Business managers teach you how to actually manage your money, which is an entirely different 
accounts will tell you how much is in your bank account and what your bills were this month. Um, Mo, what what is your initial piece of financial advice to your clients? I agree with uh, Monet and Court. You know, I mean, I think it's super important to. Have, I mean, uh, so many artists that I meet don't have business managers in place because you know they don't want to. They don't feel like it's worth giving up that money. But if you you know, as an artist, you got to look at you know. If that, you know, if, if we're using the million dollar example, right, you have taxes, then you have management, then you have a lawyer, then you have business manager, they all take a piece of that, right? And nobody really accounts at the end of the day that that million dollars, for example, turns into, you know, 300 grand, right? right? 100 grand after everybody gets their, you know, your team and everything like, you know, to run a business. So, you know, especially, you know, it's important to keep tabs on that. And, you know, a lot, a lot of artists I meet, like, don't, you know, haven't paid their taxes in years. Uh, and then it's like, then you're, you know, you get hit with a bill to, to pay for and, that penalties plus everything else. And then you're, and you'll be paying the IRS for the rest of your natural life. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, all right. I want to take some questions from the chat. Uh, but I do think, I hope everybody was, pay- I, I want to say everything you guys have said is important, but I think these last, those last three answers were probably the keys to business, whether you're on the artist side or you're on the manager side or you're on the I want to build a company side though business management pay your taxes understand that the check isn't really the check it's what's the net there's net versus gross which is what you're actually going to get versus what you're going to be left with you got to think about what you're going to be left with so one question uh somebody said I'm currently planning to start an indie label with my first artist being a girl group while I did some basic research, like industry interviews and even mainstream artist history, I noticed the reason why we don't have a group anymore is mainly due to labels not being willing to put the money up. Correct. Um, my question to you is, is, if a company wants to prioritize forming and promoting a group in this age, could it work, especially a new one? Courtney, I'm going to go to you first, just because Atlanta used to have some great R&B groups coming out coming out of it um and it has changed the market has changed the cost of moving all those people around has changed and also there's always usually eventually drama but that's that's different but courtney what do you think um i think that you know every it's it's errors you know there's Mm -hmm. been errors where super groups have always been the thing and then i'm a big i'm a huge like 90s r&b fan so it's you know i feel like you know, the, the era of groups, they will come back. It's just going to take time. Um, and it's going to take some, some people that, that dare to, to be different and, and diligent because, um, to your point, Naima, it is more expensive to move four people around, um, versus one. It is more difficult to deal with four attitudes than dealing with one. It is more difficult to, to split a check, you know, even for the group four ways mm-hmm. rather than one. So um, that I think some of some of those reasons is is like why groups aren't you know at the forefront anymore. But right. I, I mean, you know, we have um, at Keep Cool, we have a group, a duo, um, Van Jess. You know, two 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 amazing women. Um, they're like the modern day Jeanne, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like we're being diligent with them because, you know, they've been signed. Um, they were actually the first, the first artists that we signed and, you know, they haven't fully popped off yet, but we understand, you know, the artist development, we understand what it takes and they've been steadily growing and growing and growing and they're going to get there. But it's us having that, that belief and faith that you have to be, um, you have to be even more diligent and even more patient with groups and, and be willing to invest um, versus a solo artist. Yeah, I, I, one piece of context I would add for our creators who are watching, um, especially the younger ones, is that we're just coming out of an era where, and not all the way out, where labels are extremely risk averse and groups are risky. They require development, they require coaching, and every cost, like we just said, is is multiplied by four when you're getting the same amount of money in return so it it there isn't as much of an investment in artist development which is what courtney is talking about because that's more time that you're putting money into an artist before you see the money back out of an artist but now that the music itself is becoming profitable again you may see those avenues open back up i would just say for this person who you're you're starting a new label and you're putting it all on this one artist just be prepared to sink some money in before you get you get some money out 
Um, the next question I got was... Can I say one thing real quick? Yes, Monet, please, by all means. And there's a group called Good Girl that signed the RCA that they can study. And I also mm -hmm. think um, Courtney's group, as well as um, Chloe and Holly, while it's not yeah. more than, you know, it's only two of them, but I think studying and comping and comparing things and doing your research as to what's going on in the market is always helpful. Big right. shout out to Good Girl. They got a... Uh, a song out called Thirsty. Okay. Um, and I, so Monet, I will say, I'm going to take this next one to you and to Mo. Somebody asked, what are the important key areas to focus on when developing an artist? And even though this really isn't an artist development panel, we all of you do have artist development experience. And that does actually speak to the eventual revenue, you know, uh, potential. So Mo, what would you say, Monet, Mo, sorry, what would you say are the, um, are some key areas to focus on when developing an artist? Wow. I think we've come to the age where people are just getting on stage with a mic. It's no stages right now, you know, mm. but six months ago, you know, yeah. and it was kind of like, I'm here. I got my, my TV track. <laughs> oh I yeah. Live performances have been yeah, oh, I, yeah. I think that it's, it's a couple of things now because it, it starts with the media training because now you're doing more things, you know, via social media. So what things are you posting on your Instagram versus not? What are you saying on there that kind of go with your brand? You know, that I, call, I tell artists, that's your calling card these days. Instagram, mm -hmm. Twitter, because what will people do after you didn't say it or done something crazy? They're going to go dig up everything that you did and show you. So that's the first thing. I also come from the school of Matthew Knowles, where Beyonce and him was dancing and, 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 and running in high heels. It was full eight hour days. Um, it was vocal. It was, it was stage presence. And we have a whole arm, um, shout out to Monica Payne at Artistry, where that's the focus. You know, mm -hmm. you are on doing vocal with Dr. Norwood. You are yeah. learning how to walk and present you know, I think the one thing that a lot of people say about Sweetie specifically as a rap artist is that her show is amazing. And we mm -hmm. did a lot to get that to that point, you know. Um, and she has, a, she has a natural talent, but to actually work a stage as a hip hop artist is something right. that you don't really work on doing it until you, you're like, oh, I got an arena tour, you know. And then you realize you got to cover that whole stage area. Correct. So right. I think those things that you gotta, you gotta study the greats guys, you know, you gotta so go you, back. So you have to be prepared. So you have to, the thing about artist development as it relates, especially to your, to your revenue potential is that you have to be prepared to reach the level of earner that, that you want to get to, because the more that you can do, the more that you're able to earn, the more you're able to expand, et cetera. And Mo, in a similar vein, another question was about the importance of branding. So Artist development and branding obviously go hand in hand, but I'm asking you this specifically because you just talked about with Marshmallow, like you got marshmallows in Walmart, you got a educational show coming to YouTube. What is the importance of actually identifying and curating your artist's brand and, and their brand image, which is, which is sometimes different than their image image, meaning they're dressed and they're this, but their actual brand identity? Think, I mean, I think that's the most crucial thing, right? Because I think that sets up, you know, the framework for what direction you're going to take, you know, what, what's the goal of the artist, right? Are you trying to right. be an arena act? Are you trying to be somebody that sells out the troubadour and has a, you know, a core following? Or are you trying to be an arena act that's touring the world and becomes the next Drake or whatever it is, right? Like, I think there's steps to each of them, right? There's certain places where, you know, uh, there's artists that like, you know, don't want to lose out that artistic integrity that won't do certain things, for example, where other artists will, because they understand the, you know, the importance of, for example, you know, social media or this, like, you know, posting on TikTok or posting here or on this app, whatever it is, right. There's certain things, you know, on the growth level that certain artists will do and certain artists won't do. Right. And that's because it's, it, it kind of comes down to what's your vision for the brand, right? Like, what is, what do you want your brand to be? Do you want to be, the coolest guy on the underground and you know people respect you forever of that or do you want to get to the point where then everyone says you sold out and you're no longer who they were they like but mm. you're one of the biggest acts in the world and you know you're the core you know the core audience might not fuck with you as much anymore but then every you know every kid is listening to you on the radio and and you know you're selling out arenas because it you know so i think there's like a 
it kind of is dependent on the artist and the and, and what they're what the what you want the brand to be and how you build around that. Right. Um, I'm going to ask you guys, we're almost out of time as, as we're closing and thank you, but as we're closing, I'm going to ask each of you guys to give, to leave behind one kind of general piece of wisdom about ownership and entrepreneurship and building a business and not just on, for an artist, but whether it be an artist or a producer or a creator, or whether it be someone who feels like they want to be on the management or the label or the media company, so whether they want to be on the executive side of this, what is like one piece of advice that you would give people to kind of walk away with Courtney? Um, well, I'll, I'll share a story. Um, okay. And, and, and I think, you know, the, the theme of this story is think outside the box mm-hmm. to to, to dare to be different. I know I've kind of said that a couple of times, you know, during this panel and to, to just not to be afraid to, to, to do, uh, to like not do what everyone else is doing. And, um, so this story is basically with our friend Mo who's on here, you know, I would like to really salute him and how he thinks as an entrepreneur, um, someone who, who has real ownership, um, and I, I learned a lesson from him uh, when uh, Marshmallow and Khalid collaborated uh, with Silence. Um, and, you know, when, 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 when they did the record and we started talking about the business, it was like, oh, this is coming out through RCA. That's the label uh, that Khalid signed to. I was like, oh, Marshmallow signed to RCA? I didn't know that. And he was like, nah. Like, he was literally had all of these songs that were at the at the top of the charts, like literally number one in the billions of streams, and he was able to position them at different labels, uh, you know, that all compete with one another. And and I thought that was so genius of him to 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 be and to be able to you know once again take that risk and not do what everyone else is doing. And so. That, that answers. I, I appreciate the, the kind words, you know, and to add to kind of what Corny's, you know, saying about it is, you know, from our perspective, it's like, you know, the labels really care about market share, right? So, you know, that's, that's the most important thing. I don't care about market share. And as, as, you know, we took the gamble, we didn't take a big advance and go sign a deal early on. You know, we believed in ourselves and kind of took the risk of, and, you know, I have this conversation all the time now because now that, you know, other artists and, you know, managers see our model, they're like, well, you know, how are we going to do this with you? And it's like, you know, I didn't go sign a deal. So I didn't get, you know, millions of dollars up front. The, the way our business works is by being able to do these deals, right? So, you know, us doing a, you know, a venture with, you know, whatever label it is and, you know, an artist is, you know, whoever the artists we're working with has already signed their deal with the label. So they're already signed for whatever their, you know, their artist royalty is or whatever their deal is, right? So for us to come in, we're essentially our own label. So, you know, I'm going to go to RCA or I'm going to go to, you know, Interscope or whoever it is and be like, look, you already have so-and-so signed, like, and, you know, we're our own label. So if, if I was signed to Atlantic, Atlantic would ask for half the, half the record anyway. Right. Uh, I was with whoever, they would ask for half the record anyway if we were signed to a major. So it's no different, right? The only difference is that we didn't, you know, kind of, we had, we you know, took the risk in the beginning and kind of, you know, did what we did. And now it's kind of worked in our, our benefit. But, you know, um, you know, it took a long time to get to that point. You know what I mean? It took a long time where we built an audience where like, you know, we could get to the place where our records would be number one, where we could have, you know, we're the number eight artists in the world on Spotify right now, right? But there's never been a machine behind us of like, dang, it's really been building out. Our YouTube has 48 million subscribers, our, you know, Instagram has 30 million. Like the socials are on a, you know, on another level where we're able to kind of market to our audience and our fans globally um, and then tie into, you know, the labels. Right. Um, And Mo, what, what would be your... Oh, I'm sorry, but Mo, what is, before I get to Monet, Mo, is your leave behind or your one piece of advice that like to be willing to take less up front to take the bet on yourself on the back end? I think it depends. I've been in the studio with artists where, you know, I talk about this conversation with them and they're like, yo, you know, the $100,000 advance I got from a label changed my life. Changed my life. And that is worth considering. Yeah, sometimes you really need that advance. Sure. Like that put yeah. me in a place where I could record that album. Right? That put me in a place where I could, you know, do this or do that, which, you know, we will never understand another person's perspective, right? Like you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what that money does to them. And 
They could have mm. taken care of their mom's bills and that makes them the peace of mind or whatever it is. Like right. it's all dependent on who you are and, and, and what risk you're willing to take. Right. Like, and you got to pay. Dues. And, you know, everyone talks about ownership of owning your masters and stuff, but that, that's, so, it's easier said than done. Yeah. Right? It took, it t- you know, it takes a team of people or it takes you having a solid team to be able to get your, your masters in a, in a place where they're worth something. Right. right? There's, there's millions of people that own their masters that are not generating any revenue because they're not streaming. So yeah, the conversation of owning your masters and owning this and everything is great if you have a team that's able to execute to get the music out there that knows how to work it whatever cool if it's not then like you, you might want to look at you know is it worth me giving something up to have you know you want 100 percent of the pie that's worth nothing or you want 50 percent of the pie that's worth you know x amount like i think i think that's a valid point i'm glad you brought that before i go to you monet and i know we're running short on time i I want to just focus on what you said about being in a studio with artists who have said that a hundred thousand dollar advance changed your life. I think there is a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking from people who don't understand what the perspective of an artist may be, may have been 20 years ago when they took that $25,000 for their publishing or when they, you know, took that advance, but didn't necessarily know what the entire contract said. Or when, you know, when you're 20 and you're coming up out, or 19, 18, coming up out of certain circumstances, you're not really thinking like 30 years later, what am I going to feel about this deal? Because who knew when you're 19 in 1997 that in 2020, you're going to be like, damn, I wish I had my publishing from 1998. You know, anyway, um, Monet, what what is your leave behind for everybody? You're mute, Monet. Of course, I was ready to talk on you. I come from a time where people used to say, well, what do you want to be? It was the one thing that you wanted to be. And I would not get pigeonholed into that. While I worked in radio, I was like, wait, I don't, I'm going to be, I knew I was going to be in music, you know? So I think my one lead behind it, and especially being able to see how music and culture and just the way that we, you know, the coolest thing to do is to be passing out flyers in front of the club. Like the, pro- right. the promo guy or carrying in, the DJ carrying crates, like that stuff used to be cool. And it's evolved into so many different things, right? So I say one thing is love what you do. You know, I knew I love music. As a young girl, I thought I was going to do music. It just flipped. I'm behind the scenes, right? Right. Love what you do. Um, relationship build whether that's an artist and or um, an executive or you want to work in music because I walk in the, in the buildings and I work with different people in different ways. Even we got on the Zoom the other day. They like, you know, I'm like, yes, I know, I know. Yeah. So relationship building and maintaining and keeping those relationships is key. And do not be afraid to evolve and shift. I cannot say what me leaving radio after eight years of working in it. It was my first love. I was, oh, I'm going to be in the radio, love radio, but it never caught up. It didn't catch up, you know? So, but I moved to New York and was like blogs and Twitter and Facebook. It was just like, it was a whole thing, but I was involved and I shifted, you know? And I took every little piece of everything I learned and then apply, evolve, shift, build, and apply what you learn. You know, because all of these things, every company that I've been at, every boss that I've had, every person I've been a boss to, like, I've been able to apply situations, opportunities. I walk in the rooms, Rihanna's, the Rockies, the the whoever's, like, you know, they love me, I love them, you know? So I think that, and even execs, you know, just Mm -hmm. build your relationships, you know, evolve, shift, love what you do, relationship build. Reinvent. I'm a te- I'm a testament to I'm a testament to those as well. Like Monet and I have known each other for over a decade from the label side coming in. Courtney and I have crossed paths over the years as well in different ways. And I just I know I'm the moderator and not the panelist, but if y'all read a, if y'all read that billboard story about versus, I wrote that. That's a cover story. I've started as an executive. Now I have a billboard cover on the other side. You know, so it's like you gotta longevity in this game you're if you actually do want to survive in entertainment you're never going to be the same thing for your entire route through this because the business changes too much what it demands of you changes too much and what is fun for you and what will be passionate for you will change as well so I think that's a great thing is like not 
yes, you need to figure out your roadmap. Like as an artist, you do need to figure out what kind of artist you're going to be, but you also need to really stay in tune to what speaks to you, what calls out at you, which parts actually tug at you a little bit because you can be an artist and survive as an artist forever, but you're going to have a much easier road if you start pulling from other places as well. Like Rihanna doesn't really, Drake, let's talk about Drake. Drake probably ain't going to never put out an album again. Like, let's just be real. He doesn't have to, right? Rihanna's been working on Fenty for however long. She can take her time until she puts the next project out, even though the fans really want it. But she's setting up things and foundations so that she's not beholden to an album cycle for the rest of her career, which is what you want, ultimately. Um, I want to thank you guys for your time. I want to thank you for your wisdom. I want to thank you for your transparency. Um, Mo, Monet, Court, I want to thank you guys, uh, our creative community who have been watching for the past three hours. Um, this has been Cloud Bar. We'll be back in two more weeks with a whole nother series of conversations. Thank you guys again. I enjoyed having you. Thank you. Bye, y'all. Right. Stay Thank safe, y'all. Mask up.